Welcome to Koinonia Podcast. We exist to engage the church with edifying biblical discussion that is relevant to our local church in our world today. Let's tune in in today's episode. Welcome to this first episode of Koinonia Podcast. This is exciting. This is going to be a really good time. My name is Pastor Brent. I serve as the lead pastor of Steel Valley Church located in Youngstown, Ohio. And uh, man, it's great to be gathered in this way that we can be connected through this digital means. It's absolutely fantastic of where technology has brought us today. Um, Well, let's get to the matter at hand. Today's discussion is going to be revolved around what church discipleship is, um, and specifically within the local context at the church I'm at. And depending on where you are located, it might be beneficial to adapt some practices and convictions that I might present today in this podcast. Um, So as we think through church discipleship and kind of planning this out and making sure that we're doing the right things, we're going to consider what the Bible says. I'm going to dive into a couple different resources known as Real Life Discipleship um, by Putman and also Trellis in the Vine by Tony Payne, a Matthias Media resource. Um, these two re- resources are fantastic and really outline a conviction that our congregation truly holds on to. But let's not waste any time um, right now and um, talk about what the Bible says is the mission of the church. Because if we want to properly uh, identify what discipleship is, we first have to know what the purpose of the church is. And I believe that Jesus told his disciples that very purpose in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This statement uh, is known as the Great Commission and includes one imperative making disciples, make disciples, go, make disciples, Uh, three participles of go, baptize, and teach. Putnam, in his book, Real Life Discipleship, he says a disciple is one who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Additionally, Tony Payne, in Trellis in the Vine, says the goal of all Christian ministry in all its forms is disciple-making. The Great Commission makes disciple-making the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian disciple. And so, stepping back for a moment, as we think about church history and survey church history, the Great Commission has taken on many shapes and forms and strategies according to uh, what congregations across the world were able to do. This certainly is true being a pastor of a small church in Youngstown, known as Steel Valley Church. uh, We have a specific culture, needs of people, and available resources that are unique to our context specifically. Um, But regardless of the many differences within the context and the time period of the church, one thing is definitely common among all churches worldwide of all times is that the Bible consistently has a congregational culture that makes disciples. 
Charles and the Vine continues saying that one symptom of a congregational culture that is weak in disciple making is that there are few contexts or instances beyond the Sunday sermon in which the Bible's word is regularly being spoken. And so the question stands for us. How do we begin to create the culture and constructs of disciple-making disciples, which is tailored specifically for our church or your church? And to begin thinking through a practical approach, I honestly think we need to think in two different spheres of making disciples, especially at Steel Valley Church. We have these two spheres of discipleship, the sphere of leadership discipleship of raising up leaders, but also congregational discipleship of how to disciple the congregation, those who aren't a part of leadership. And so that is a system of raising up growing leaders while also raising up and growing regular attendees in spiritual maturity. Um, And there's obviously some overlap in this because all leaders were once church members and things like that, but each must have a strategy, a discipleship strategy that's unique to an individual's phase of life and competency. And each sphere obviously uh, will accommodate the other. And for that, this podcast, I think, will include a thought-out process and structure for each of the two spheres of discipleship with a heavy emphasis upon congregational discipleship toward the end, where I'll present like an incremental phased plan towards the end of our time. Um, But definitely, when thinking about discipleship, we must remember that all discipleship aims to promote growth. You can't have discipleship and not consider its growing effects. And if a church body is not on the path of growth, it will become stagnant, leading to spiritual drift. And so we have to pay close attention to how the church body is specifically being discipled. This makes me think back early on in my years in this church body. Um, The congregation was uh, kind of all over the place when I arrived at this appointment. Discipleship, when I first arrived, seemed to be conducted in isolated isolated cliques um, or groups that had little to no uh, continuity with the overall mission of the local church. So they kind of just operated like outside Um, They did what they wanted, essentially, outside of the umbrella of the church. And that's not to harp on the past or anything like that. Uh, I never forget what Martin Luther once said, that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And this is certainly true, as we might reflect on God's faithfulness during many years of disarray. Uh, But self-awareness for me doesn't allow me to forget that I'm just another crooked stick in the pile of others. But I want to be cognizant of um, looking for a solution and creating a strategy to care for the flock that's entrusted to me that I will have to one day give an account for. And so I want to do this with the utmost self-awareness of my flaws, along with the great responsibility given to me as an under-shepherd. And so when I first arrived, you know, things were a little bit in disarray, um, but not too far gone. Um, And so I just, I saw a loss of identity and mission in the church, um, just not really knowing who we are, and that that is not okay. Um, So the first few years within the church, this church calling, it entailed embedding conviction to identify who we are. 
And so during these years, the purpose statement was the primary focus, which stated that we're an intentional church family devoted to the hearing of God's word and the doing of God's word. And so throughout this time, it carried us through a church-wide realignment. Um, All the cliques were disbanded and dissolved, and discipleship groups began to operate in support and in line with the overall mission of the church and the driving conviction of being an intentional church family. Um, Charles in the Vine mentions that you usually can't change culture by trying to change culture. And this is, this is awesome. Tony Payne continues saying that you must change deeply held beliefs that underpin culture, even underlying ones and activities, practices, and structures that express those beliefs. And obviously, when you're talking about change, not everyone likes the new change that you're bringing out. Um, this happens in so many churches, and we experienced very intense division during my early, uh, we'll, just, we'll just say months, intense division and pruning within the church. Um, but God has been so faithful in unifying and revitalizing a biblically faithful and an evangelically fruitful church. Um, but however, knowing that we've made progress It's not good enough to think that we've arrived as if we could just sail the sea of church revitalization and arrive in glory singing kumbaya. Uh, No. If progress is concerned, we are only getting started and we will continue to adjust along the way. And so early on, um, along with the purpose statement that was instilled and uh, drove us through many years, Um, we started looking at restructuring our leadership team. And so this focuses on the first sphere of discipleship, leadership discipleship. Now, let me just paint an accurate picture of of the church. Uh, We're small. We don't have a sizable, compensated leadership team that's fully devoted to the church body. We just don't. We would need to develop a team of co-laborers for ministry, individuals who would operate in a higher capacity, and uh, those who naturally stand out as future leaders in the church. And so God would begin the steps in this direction with what we have labeled uh, pastoral apprenticeship. Um, And so this is a program that we start within, I think it was within my first year we started it. So this is an intensified course that's geared to help those considering um, or pursuing ministry, a future in ministry, Um, those who are thinking about going into seminary and just exposing them firsthand to pastoral work and training for pastoral ministry. And so this objective would be achieved through just theological reflection, uh, pastoral mentoring, and supervised personal experience over the course of one year. Um, I love this pastoral apprenticeship. Um, And yeah, we can keep raising up pastors, but uh, I'm fully aware, and and you should be too, that it takes more than just shepherds to care for the sheepfold. And so while it's been great, we've seen... uh, men preach their first sermons from the pulpit. We've evaluated so many people that are are going into ministry. It's been so fantastic to be a part of and so fruitful, but obviously we can't. um, Leadership is important, but uh, leadership also extends outside of of pastors and elders. Putnam in uh, Real Life Discipleship says, uh, without leadership, a team fails. Without leadership, a country fails. And most critically of all, without leadership, the church fails. So it takes many hands 
serving the practical needs of the body. And individuals who stand out within the congregation would need um, uh, would need some sort of training program to be brought into leadership, whether it's serving as pastor or elder. Um, pastors and elders at our church are, are used interchangeably. Uh, pastor is an elder and an elder is a pastor. Um, and uh, deacons are separate. They're, a second, they're the other office, the second office of the church. Um, and so within our polity, we have elders and deacons, but also just extra hands uh, that serve in just more minor roles that serve great purpose. And so what we did was um, created like a plan of discipling these people. Um, this would be a 10-week onboarding process, namely an intensive discipleship training where we would read through together um, an ecclesiologically focused book and discuss weekly uh, as groups, how the constructs and convictions within the specific book might relate and be expressed in our local context. I'll just uh, reveal my, my hand here and uh, say that the book that we read through is Trellis in the Vine. And um, the illustrations in that book and the, the fact that they look at scripture and say what scripture says and then think practically, they think practically about based on what scripture says, how this can look in the church. Uh, fantastic book. And so this has revolutionized discipleship in our church. And so with the pastoral apprenticeship and the intensive discipleship training, these two things working to onboard leaders upon the same convictions, upon the same um, culture and constructs of um, what disciple making looks like in the church, and uh, various uh, convictions about the purpose of the church even, um, we can then um, observe the incremental equipping of leaders that has unified a team that is on the same page in vision and mission and what God intends for our local church in the context of making disciples. While God has accomplished much in sustaining and growing Steel Valley Church through church division, through a global pandemic, through revitalization, which actually entailed a, a complete name change. We haven't always been named Steel Valley Church. Um, through all of this, we can confidently say that, uh, yeah, I think we've reached uh, the starting line. Um, maybe we're not even at the starting line yet, and that's okay. So yeah, if we're just reaching the starting line and we just run a race of just focusing on in on leaders, if that's our only focus, is on just more mature people within the church in their faith or in competencies, um, looking for people who are valuable leaders, um, we would neglect those who are on a process of growth, of who are, might be less mature, uh, maybe will aren't interested in church leadership, but just want a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So a Sunday sermon, while it's vitally central to the focus and direction of the church, it's like the helm of a ship, um, it's just simply not enough. Um, our pulpit uh, is symbolically placed at the center of our sanctuary, and that's to emphasize that uh, we understand the central role of the, the Word of God within the church. Um, anything that we do, anything we, we say, derives from the Word of God. Putnam says most people are not auditory learners and struggle to keep focus for any certain period, especially now in the era of short attention span. And even Donald Whitney uh, in Spiritual Disciplines of a Christian Life. 
He says, can, can we expect the flames of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's day when they barely flicker for him in secret on other days? So a midweek Bible study, yeah, it, it might work for a small portion of people uh, in the church to grow in their knowledge of the Bible, and, and especially relationally with one another. But ultimately, if we're leaving that just for a Bible study, uh, maybe a midweek Bible study once during the week, uh, one for men, one for women, um, I believe that this is falling short of what Jesus commissioned to his disciples according to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, how can these leaders and trainers, all these people who have been raised up in leadership, how can they be given this, the chance to utilize their God-given abilities to significantly impact the life of the church? Well, as we talk about this discipleship alignment, um, this is where we get into that second sphere of congregational discipleship. So let's talk about that. We're done talking about uh, leadership, discipleship, growing leaders, and the process that we have uh, for growing leaders, but let's talk about congregational discipleship. And so to talk about like a plan, like say like a plan has a name, this name of the plan is called discipleship alignment. Uh, it's a term uh, used to quickly describe an incremental plan of reorienting the church-programmed discipleship to be corporately done on the Lord's Day. Um, so this would hopefully free up the week for smaller corporate gatherings of house churches. After all, the Lord's Day is not simply an hour on Sunday. Uh, it's an entire day, from sunup to sundown, dusk to dawn. It's a creational institution given to mankind by God. According to the Old Covenant, it was observed on Saturday. But however, according to the New Covenant and apostolic practice, they separated from Saturday observance and instead made it Sunday, the first day of the week, in commemoration of the resurrection day of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so, rather than pulling a band-aid off and dealing with the hideous shock of change, an incremental plan would be beneficial for the course of probably a year. This incremental plan would aim to move the culture away from great dependence on church-initiated programs, uh, like those formal programs organized by leadership, to congregation-initiated programs, those informal programs, those you know, informal organizations that are um, structured and planned by the congregation. Trellis in the Vine says, if we want a church culture of transformative learning, our households need to reflect this vision, and our families need to be taught and encouraged and equipped to embrace it. And the connection between home-based and church-based disciple-making is very close. The one will nurture the other. And I love that. Uh, we get a glimpse of this, um, this kind of uh, relationship between church-based and home-based. And this is exactly what we're trying to get at, where I think too often we, we depend on the official church to program our discipleship. Um, we don't know how to study the Bible um, by self-initiation with somebody else. Uh, we want the church to say, this is when we're studying it. And um, yeah, we get a glimpse of that, like the synagogue um, and the things going on in homes uh, in Acts 2, 42. We just went through a series uh, in Acts and uh, went through most of the book. Uh, we'll be picking up 
picking it up back uh, back up a little bit later in the year, but we see that in verse 42 of chapter 2, the book of Acts. And they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and daily attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad, glad and generous hearts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so what the author, Luke, is describing to the intended um, original audience, uh, which was a guy named Theophilus, um, what he's describing is a culture of discipleship organized by the temple, by the synagogue, um, as well as discipleship organized by the congregation in homes. And in this, it would be necessary for us, if we want to see this come to life, we would probably have to start with freeing up the week to allow for more of that congregational-initiated programs so that people can meet in their homes and so that we can uh, embrace the conviction that the Lord's day is not the Lord's hour on Sunday. It's literally the Lord's day. And so, it would consolidate all the weekday church-initiated programs to be on the Lord's Day, and in which would free up the week for congregation-initiated programs. Charleston the Fine says that the growth of the gospel happens in the lives of people, not in the structures of the church. And this is certainly true, and we hold this to be true. And so, yeah, we can test the spirits um, in this. Sometimes I ask myself, am I crazy? Um, I'm sure that we all have uh, a certain sense about us of when, when we're thinking about um, any sense of change. Um, but leadership is really confident uh, that of the numerous confirmations that prove all of our sanity in this matter. Um, as under shepherds of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and being attentive to what it means to be uh, in leadership of God's church, it's imperative for us to be sensitive to how God desires to grow us in godliness as a congregation, and especially how we lead. But yeah, the confirmations have been overwhelming in several unconnected circumstances. This has truly been wild. Listen to this. I started receiving uh, resources in the mail uh, regarding the importance of the Lord's Day. <laughs> like new books coming out and things like that. And also, I think, uh, I think the mailman hijacked my, my Facebook algorithm because there's been an uptick of articles and posts to my newsfeed about the Lord's Day. And consider this. Uh, my wife, uh, she faithfully serves as a women's ministry director. And um, like the elders have been like in this planning phase of um, like, all right, so let's just, this is a good idea. We definitely have this need. Um, there's a lot of people being neglected in discipleship. Let's pray through this of what it would look like for, you know, structuring things on the Lord's day to free up the week. Um, and so we were in this prayer process and unbeknownst to my wife, the women's ministry director, uh, she approached me not knowing any of this. Uh, and she expressed the desire of, moving Bible study to Sunday evening. I mean, she when she told me that, my mouth dropped. And then, if that wasn't enough, I attended an annual meeting for our state convention uh, with the Southern Baptists, and uh, Alistair Begg was uh, preaching at the annual meeting. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and then he mentions 
the importance of having the lights on in the church on Sunday evening. And he challenged every pastor in the church, in, in that, that annual meeting, uh, to keep the lights on, have an evening service on the Lord's day, and then stress that it's not the Lord's hour on Sunday morning, it's the Lord's day. And so to say the least, it's hard to ignore like the consistent and reoccurring confirmations that seem to indicate that God may very well be doing something to help us as a church, as Steel Valley Church, to grow and mature in our faith, especially in relationship with one another. And so the question stands, how do we move towards this culture? In other words, do we just make the shift overnight and say, this is what we're doing? Or can we gradually begin to allow God to shift that tide? And so with my leadership strategy and how God is impressing it upon uh, my heart and, and revealing to us, I think the latter is definitely clear. Uh, we can gradually begin to allow God to shift the tide. And so I think that one of the biggest uh, benefits in pastoral ministry is just having a practical, uh, practical idea of what it means to play the long game in ministry. Um, not being too quick to jump and do things like uh, planning and meeting goals and doing this and doing that and um, numbers and, and all of that. Um, I think it's, it's really important for us to, to embrace what it means to play a long game. Talk about, um, you know, planning things within a year, two years, five years, ten years, and uh, being patient and allowing God to direct our, our steps. Uh, we can make our plans, but God directs our steps, as the Proverbs say. And so, yeah, I started thinking about what this would look like practically, and leadership uh, discussed it, and I said, this might actually work. And so within our local context, we're looking at a three-phased plan. This plan would be included into three incremental changes. And so the first would be to consolidate all of our church-initiated programs like midweek Bible study and make everything, just move everything to be on the Lord's Day on Sunday. And so everything with Sunday morning would stay the same, uh, but Sunday evening would be completely new. Um, it would start to ingrain within our culture and our constructs what it means to return to the church at 5 p.m. for study groups. And we can begin even corporately as men, women, and children um, and sing uh, together and pray and then um, go into our study groups. But I think it would be really cool of actually on the first Sunday of each month, uh, in, the, in the morning service, we actually use this Sunday to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, and using that communal aspect, um, and even being a Koinonia podcast, talking about that participation in the body and blood of Christ um, and relationships with one another, um, we would also use this and extend it into Sunday evening. And we can have a Sunday evening service. This is like fantastic. Um, return to the church and um, the first Sunday of the month having a chance to pray, encourage one another, share testimonies, sing, and maybe even receive a short devotional from uh, one of our leadership uh, team members. So that would be the, the first phase, bringing everything, church-initiated programs to Sunday to free up the week. 
And that's not just to leave the week empty. Um, this is working towards something, which is phase three. But before we get to phase three, we get to phase two. Phase two would be basically observed in the summer months. Um, there's something unique in our church context that we began uh, early on in my days in ministry here, which is called Summer Nights. And so this runs every other week on Sunday evenings, and this gives a church, uh, church member a chance to open up their house to the church body. And now luckily we're small in size. Uh, it would be tricky to fit every single person into a, a single home. Uh, that would be very overwhelming and intimidating uh, to many people uh, who might be potential hosts. But this phase two uh, this year would be different in the sense because we're trying to drive the conviction. If we're establishing the conviction of the Lord's day and what it means to return to the church at five o'clock for something, this would continue that conviction driving of saying what we're doing here within this home we want to make it a normal part of our church body and so this would lead us into phase three and so this third phase would launch hopefully lord willing sometime in fall um, it's january it's leading, coming up to january right now uh, with this first episode of koinonia podcast and so this would uh have uh, this would continue uh, that ongoing Lord's Day church initiated programs, but would continue that midweek house church vibe of congregational initiated programs. This would be something that the church body uh, operates, they organize, they, they work on their own. And so these would be midweek discipleship opportunities on the weekdays that would occur in church members' homes. And so they would be highly relational house churches who go deeper in relationships with one another of what's going on, what's God teaching people, but would also have that discipleship touch. And so the goal would be to have these groups do sermon-based discussions and meditation um, together as their house church. And so these would be regionally placed so people don't have to travel uh, more than 10 minutes to get to a house church. And we can definitely do that uh, from the looks of it. And uh, yeah, the flame of the Sunday sermon is often quick to cool because of our lack of revisiting it throughout the week. But even individual Bible study is tricky. Uh, Donald Whitney says in, in uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he says the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Now, I'm not ignorant enough to realize that when we just allow uh, people, when people give me the flexibility to do something on my own, um, I might be prone to just turn it into a Lord of the Rings uh, movie-watching party um, or just a game night where we never really talk about the Lord. We never pray for one another. We never take that relational dive. And so this is where our hard work with the, the leadership discipleship sphere would come into play. The trainers who have gone through our 10-week uh, intensive discipleship training. So these these trainers would be strategically placed in the house churches for the goal of pastoral oversight and champions of prayer and facilitating discussion. They would be those people that are there and they say, hey, let's, uh, let's get together. Uh, we got about another half hour left of our time tonight. 
Um, it's been fun. Let's circle around and just start talking. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, wonderful sermon uh, on Sunday, and uh, we got a lot to discuss. Um, so that would be that, that trainer in the house church. So the ideal house church host would be someone who has been growing in their faith. Their certain maturity level uh, would be evidence. Um, and this would be seen by their consistent commitment um, of following through for our local church body. Um, and so hopefully by the end of phase three, um, I can only imagine that the conviction, the culture, and constructs of our church body, and possibly yours, uh, will be vibrant and healthy. In fact, I expect this to like potentially grow this church spiritually and relationally like never before. And so this is obviously something that needs to be casted uh, and needs to be owned. Um, it takes more than just um, a, a team of people just saying, like, let's do this. Uh, this is an invitation to our local body, maybe even your local body, uh, wherever you're from, uh, to do this together. If we at Steel Valley Church are to take the words of Jesus Christ seriously, to make disciples, this foundation of discipleship in our local context is something that we need to at least attempt, at least try. Um, we've tried a couple different things in the past that uh, were beneficial, but just didn't grip. Um, they didn't grab, they didn't take root within the constructs and, and the culture of our church. And that's okay, but we need to at least attempt and try um, and make that progress. And so we can also just do the opposite of any of that. We can just do nothing, continue with the status quo, Sunday morning, 10, 10.30 church service starts, and uh, we look forward to the midweek Bible study or, or a little book discussion every other week, or maybe the men's breakfast once a month. Um, we can continue in that status quo, but unfortunately, those within the church who are in a growth stage will be neglected and will inevitably leave the church due to stagnancy and spiritual drift. And this is especially if, if history proves to be true. This is certainly true, and it's unfortunate. Um, it will take a strategic change and an incremental timeline of phases to move the church towards effective leadership discipleship and congregational discipleship that fits our context. It's the job of and privilege of every Christian to be a disciple of Jesus, and it's the responsibility of each and every church to make disciples. I also believe that the Word tells us that it is the job of every pastor to develop a system that will equip and enable all the people in the church to be in the relational process for discipleship. The simpler and more deliberate and more intentional that process, the less time wasted. So says Jim Putnam in Real Life Discipleship. So this three-phase plan of discipleship alignment, it's going to be long. It, it, might get, it might get a little interesting down the line, um, but it will be slow moving. It will be incremental. Phase one will just consolidate to build that conviction of the Lord's day um, where all church-initiated discipleship will happen on, um, on Sunday with Bible studies an evening service, everything like that to free up the week. Phase two will give that taste of that fellowship within church members' homes of sermon-based discussion. And then phase three will launch just the full program, um, Sunday evening discipleship, 
observance of the Lord's Day in full and weekday house churches, regional house churches. And so it's our prayerful expectation that God will work mightily through this endeavor and Steel Valley Church will find themselves in a state of health like never before. By executing this discipleship alignment, our convictions that drive our culture, that drive our constructs, will be realigned to God's. And that's the the most beautiful aspect of all of this. And with that, everyone benefits and God will be glorified. After all, we are his church. And so that concludes our time today. Thanks for joining. And uh, I look forward to discussing more along the lines of discipleship in the church in the coming future. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later. This podcast is a ministry of Steel Valley Church. For more information on how to participate, visit our website at steelvalleychurch.com slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.